and welcome to episode 108 of Random Encounter, the RPG Fan Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Steinman, Pale Robbie on the boards. Joining me today is Derek. I was going to make an Overwatch joke, and then I decided not to. Derek Heemsbergen, everybody. Call me Der- Derek Drifter Heemsbergen, because I just beat Hyperlight Drifter, and it was real good. You are a tough man, my friend, because that game was beating the crap out of me on the first boss. The guy who plays Dark Souls until his knuckles bleed, <laughs> throwing the controller on the ground, it ricocheting off the wall, hitting you in the face, and landing back on your knuckles. I don't it, know how that just went with knuckles. Wow. It, no, the only thing that ever happened was I did spike the controller off of our carpet in the old apartment, and it went up to eye level, and that's when I realized that I probably needed to stop. Have you ever spiked a controller to eye level? No. I, no. Th- I think we had this discussion once because I was like, who does that? Who throws... Oh, I did. I did once when I was a, I was like 12 <laughs> and I was playing Final Fantasy Tactics and that that word, she's a bad person. I think it was... What's her name? Uh, Maluda, I think. There, and it's like an early battle in the game. Yeah, uh, Maluda. She, she just, she the sister of... Ass. Yeah. And I was very, very angry as a child. Remember those Nerf controllers they made for the PS2? Well, that, <laughs> see, that came after, okay? Back in my day, when we were spoiled little brats playing our PlayStations. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I definitely didn't have a Nerf controller, but, oh, my mom was pissed. She did not buy me a replacement, which is the right thing to have done. That's, anyway, that's parenting right there. Yeah, Hyperlight Drifter I don't think is uh, quite as... It's frustrating, but I spent less time playing Hyperlight Drifter than you've spent playing all your Dark Souls games, and I'm... I don't know how you do it, man. Anyway, hey. <laughs> we'll talk about Hyperlight for a little bit. Uh, so that was Derek. Uh, we also have Caitlin the Kraken Argyros. I was going to say that should be my nickname for this episode. Oh, boy. Uh, this is this is going to get interesting, folks. Let's just... must be released. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Okay, Caitlin, right, just, just, I need you to stay calm while I introduce Tooker, okay? To, oh, just, okay? Just please don't rage out, okay? Just... I, I will... I will... I will resist the... Calm order. down, Caitlin. Calm down. <laughs> All right? Calm. All right. Urge to kill rising. <laughs> Urge to kill fading. Fading. Fade. Rising. Fade. <laughs> and that is John... Uh, what does it say by your name? John on site at Client Tucker. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, that is that is actually me. Well, I'm not on site at the moment. I'm at the hotel at the moment. And that somebody else is paying for that hotel right now, right? Like, that's yes. a work hotel. Oh, that that feels good, right? You could raid that minibar. It's like, all right, okay. Yeah, that totally sounds like John. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, they uh, they gave me a free, uh, a free item from the market downstairs, so I'm sitting here eating Haribo gummy bears. Ooh. Oh, I'm not a gummy yeah, bears person. Uh, uh. <laughs> that's luxury. Oof. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you can spring for the worms. You just get the bears. Ah, you guys like gummy candy? I, I hate how it gets no, caught in I your don't. teeth. I can't eat like a whole bag or anything at once, but I like okay, it. yeah, okay, proper proper portions and everything. Yeah. Yes. Okay, so we got stuff to talk about this week. Um, I think we we kind of have to start with uh, with some Dark Souls three. No, I'm just kidding. We're gonna start with uh, with Final Fantasy fifteen. Um, we had. News. Yeah, I am so glad I didn't go to that event because I would have gone up on stage and oh, slapped it, some people. Is the worst. It was. Oh. I was not expecting it to be that kind of. I mean, oh. I, I was gonna. I knew it was gonna be like a big extravaganza, but I kind of wasn't expecting that kind of hosting. So, so let me. I'm trying to be very fair to Greg Miller. I am not a fan of his, but I understand his shtick. His like, I'm a wacky game guy. Like, I get that. 
like that's cool and some people really like watching that on the internet that's fine that's fine but to make it kind of an infomercial for Final Fantasy 15 and expose me to him was a danger to everyone in my surrounding area um I would have much rather just gotten all of that information after the fact and not had to listen to him. The other guy was okay, but Greg Miller was kind of yeah. I'm 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 not a fan of his. I get that people are a fan of his, but whatever. Not the way I would have gone about doing one of these events. But as we kind of learned last year at E3, when Square Enix thought that it was a big reveal to show the exact same Final Fantasy VII remake trailer that they showed the previous night at Sony sometimes messaging gets a little screwed up. So, Final Fantasy 15, big news coming out uh, September 30th, which leaked earlier in the day, which was kind of hysterical. And they uh, made fun of it during <laughs> the event, too. Yeah, uh, so September 30th. Um, and then they proceeded to... Well, previously, that was their last big announcement, but they pre- they kind of gave a lot of information about the world of Final Fantasy 15. So let, let let me make sure I get all this right. There is going to be a Final Fantasy 15 movie and that movie will come with the kind of specially edition of Final Fantasy 15, right? Is it King's it also released before the movie? Is yeah. it is I'm it Sorry before the game. Is it King's Slave or King's Glaive? King's Glaive. Yeah, they should Sword. That we need a we need a better name. Okay, whatever. Uh, that that's, oh, that's just because you you can't say it. I actually don't think it's a bad name. Okay, oh, very good, Caitlin. Just channel that rage. It's it's coming here in a second. I, <laughs> just because I have reservations does not mean I can't be positive. I know I can't be balanced. We'll get into this later. I know. Uh, so then there's an anime. There's an anime that's going to be five parts. Um, and that'll be released. Yep, and that's going to be released as we keep going close to release. There is have episode one out. Yep, I haven't had a chance to watch it. Um, and there is a mobile game that is based off of a mini game in Final Fantasy Fifteen. Mm-hmm. Justice Monsters Five, right? Yep. And then going back to the movie for a second, it's going to have some big name actors in it, including Sean Bean. That's basically your spoiler that his character is going to die. Um, Cersei Lannister, Lena, he- he- uh, is it Heedy? Lena, Lena Heedy is going to be in it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, and now the movie is kind of. There's some mixed messaging on the movie. Aaron Paul, don't forget Aaron Paul. Who? Yeah. From Breaking, from Breaking Bad. Bad. Oh, oh my god! I've never watched Breaking oh, Bad. I'm delicious. sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. Wow. I can't do his voice at all. But that that honestly can't. surprises me, Rob. I I would have thought that you would have seen it. Uh, there's way too much TV to watch right now. Like That's true. They're, That's they're, true. We, we are in a renaissance of TV, and it's like overwhelming to try to stay up on all this. But uh, now now correct me if I'm wrong here. The movie is actually like a compilation of stories that are being taken out of Final Fantasy 15 like what what is going like a it's it's kind of a prequel and that it it also happens concurrently with the beginning of uh, the game FF15 like Noctis and Co have left their their kingdom to go to this arranged marriage um, and while they're on the way there's like a conflict that happens back home and this movie okay. tells the story of what's happening there and to be fair also like the Sean Bean thing that that it's funny because every, everybody had that reaction, like he's dead. <laughs> but uh, I mean, in the in the beginning of the game proper, like uh, even in the previews that have come out of FF15, like Game Informer just did a big hands-on of Chapter One, um, and we've known for a long time that in the beginning of the game, there, Noctis gets this news bulletin that says that his his father has been killed. So the whole like, oh my god, he's been killed thing. I don't know how much that's 
like the, the game has already alluded to it, so I feel like they're going to kind of slip that on us, and it'll be the first time that Sean Bean has ever survived as a king. Uh, Maybe, possibly. It's also worth noting that uh, Sean Bean and Lady Heaty, they're, they're only the voice actors in the movie. They're not reprising their roles for the game. Yeah, that's a little so, confusing. That's, that's unusual, yeah. 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 I, I don't know how I feel about that. That kind of... So, so I guess all this kind of world building, to me... It, it harkens back to actually uh, a game series that I was toying around with a couple weekends ago. You know, sometimes you got to go back to like some comfort food when like new games aren't really doing it for you. And I threw in uh, the original Dead Space and the sequel, Ooh. which I really, really like those games. One and two are fantastic games. And if you remember with Dead Space one, they did a uh, motion comic, a animated. Good. Y- yes, yes. Um, the animated movie, which was. Not that good. Not so good. And then kind of a weird ARG online that was more creepy than good, but it it was creepy in that way that Dead Space 1 was kind of like a mystery of what's going on here. But, uh, and and Caitlin, you're 100% right. I think that motion comic is fantastic. Like, it is creepy. It's a mystery. It's well acted. It fleshes out the world. At one point in the game, when you get close to the end of Dead Space 1, you actually pick up an audio log voiced by the same main character from the motion comic, which was really cool. Like, that that cross-pollination, that, that real sense of, like, this is a living, breathing world. There, There's more to it than just the game. We've seen that in Mass Effect, and we've seen it in Dragon Age Inquisition. But I think the secret to success there is that you have to make it something that if you if you get it, you get it, and you're like, oh, sweet, this is like a cool addition for me. But if you didn't like read the motion comic in this case, you're not like, well, what's going on here? Why is this thing right. even in this game? Yeah. Not the Final Fantasy thirteen problem. Yeah. And- like, oh, I wish I had these three novels that would have explained all of this before I played this game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do we think... Go ahead, Caitlin, go ahead. Which is kind of what worries me with the knowledge that Kingsglaive occurs semi-concurrently or all the way concurrently with the game. Like, I don't know. I hope the game does enough to make it so you don't feel like you're missing half the story because it sounds almost like, yeah, they're splitting half the story. The story in the game is with Noctis and company and the story in the movie is back in, in Lucius and it's like, okay... And, and then there's there's also the very cynical question, but I think it has to be asked, is this a world that they can form all of this extra media around? You know, at Dragon Age, they spent years writing all that story. And I know it's a little divisive on our staff, whether it, it's a good universe or a bad universe, but they spent a lot of time really fleshing out the world of Dragon Age Inquisition. Have we ever seen Square Enix put that amount of time and effort into a world that they build? Maybe, maybe fourteen. Maybe fourteen oh, is there is there one? There was the entire compilation of Final Fantasy VII, but whether that's good or not, that's totally debatable. Because right. some elements of that are like way lower quality than the rest. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I guess it, 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 to me, it's like the the thirteen problem. Uh, it, it, it's very reminiscent of when they announced Final Fantasy 13 and Versus 13 and at that point was it Agito 40 uh, I almost said Agito 43 Agito 13 and it was like okay I, I like the I like the chutzpah but do you guys have an interesting enough world to satisfy all of these different pieces 
And yeah. that's that's kind of the concern. My concern is we don't even know the full story of the game. I mean, I can see how they're confident enough that they want to have all this, you know, this world building with the anime and the movie and whatnot. But I'm still kind of reserving my my expectations until we see it. And, you know, it would kind of, it would be great if the game is super awesome and we have mm-hmm. all this extra stuff and like, yeah, we, they did create that world. But, you know, we don't know yet. And it just, I feel like I'm old for saying this, but it's kind of like, ah... Uh, I, I, I don't know. I want to wait and see. Derek or John, I, I, I'm kind of with Caitlin yeah. a little bit. Well, I, I recognize my own bias in this a bit because I am, you know, what they would consider to be probably a diehard Final Fantasy fan. I've, I've enjoyed every Final Fantasy that has been released in some capacity. I don't think that some are universally great games. Like 13 is one that I've said time and again, I think is actually pretty problem well i want to say problematic but um it's just it has a lot a lot of issues that that under critical analysis don't hold up but i still think that it was a pretty enjoyable experience for me overall i just don't think that it's like among the top echelon of video games ever made so with that said final fantasy 15 is something that i've anticipated for a long time and will be purchasing with bated breath on release day you know i'm gonna line up at midnight or whatever and i'm gonna get it and I, i can't wait for it so i think that some of this media tie-in stuff I think they are banking on the fans like me who are so eager to consume all of this world that that's been again we we know that this game hasn't been in production for 10 years but this idea has been in our minds for so long that we're sort of people in my position are sort of desperate to just lap up whatever not trash that they give us but you know to consume whatever media related to this world we can get so I think that I mean, I'm very excited for all of this. Um, I think that they they definitely have the budget backing all of this up. I know that this isn't going to be half-assed in terms of the like the quality of the CG or anything like that, and they have the voice talent there for sure. Whether or not those people can perform well as voice actors for a CG movie remains to be seen. Um, yeah, I, I think I think it's a little early to say one way or the other whether or not this is going to be a success or a failure. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm I'm optimistic, probably more optimistic than you guys are, just because having followed so much of this, uh, the evolution of Final Fantasy 15 over the years, like I'm I'm already familiar with the basic, like the cast, um, their general motivations, their general stories, and the the um, trajectory of the story as they have unveiled so far. So I'm just eager to say, like, oh, okay, so I know that this is going on, and I, I can't wait to figure out what's happening in the kingdom back home. Yada yada yada. Um, yeah, so I, I would say I'm cautiously optimistic on it. I would, I would, yeah, I, I can agree with that. You're, you're not alone. I mean, I, I don't remember exactly which of them it is, but one of our news team, as soon as it was announced, purchased the was a two hundred and seventy dollar super special edition. Oh yeah, I think it was yeah. Colin. Okay, that sounds right. But uh, you know, I mean, so there are definitely people out there excited was, about all this. I thought it was Scott. You're right. It was uh, Scott. Sorry, my bad. He's got the Hildebrand avatar. Yeah, that's Scott. Scott. Not Colin. <laughs> my bad. Colin's got Sakaguchi. Um, I, I think I'm with you guys. Like, I'm cautiously optimistic for this game. I would really, really like this game to be awesome and tickle my fancy and make me excited for Final Fantasy again. So I'm not going into this a hater. I was just a little surprised that there was so much multimedia going into this game. Yeah. 
Um, I was not expecting that. I wasn't expecting that much either. Like I expected from this uh, event, I expected a release date. I I knew they were going to unveil a collector's edition or something. Yeah. Like that. Yeah, that, yeah. That was that was the most expected part. What I didn't expect was there to be a limited edition one of these only car that is a replica of the car from Kingsglaive. That and, was uh, wow. And a new car. <laughs> that, that part is out of touch. IMO. Like, yeah. Yeah. Come on. Like, nobody watching this presentation gives two craps about your limited edition car. It reminds me of when uh, Final Fantasy VIII came out. There was an advertisement in the back of the magazine for the Toyota Echo. And I was like, you know, I was a teenager at the time. And I was like, Mom, I want my first car to be a Toyota Echo. Why? I don't know. Just because it seems like a good car. (laughs) Is is... (laughs) it? So stupid. Like... I, I don't think anybody cares at all about that car tie-in. Like, would it be an awesome car to own? Yeah, but like, don't show that to me at a Final Fantasy event and expect me to get excited for it. Uh, Something that we couldn't possibly afford, even yeah. if there was more than one. And I, there's only one being made, so it's just there to show off. Yeah, it's. The, the, I mean, like, what? It's really weird. And yeah. Greg Miller was talking about the. Greg Miller was talking about the car way too much. So uh, the the most interesting piece for me coming out of this was that then they released the Platinum demo, which might have the cutest little thing I've ever seen in a video game. Oh, that, Carbuncle. Yeah, Carbuncle. Carbuncle is very, very cute. So um, He talks to you through your cell phone. Of course he does. Chocobo emoji. <laughs> so I, I downloaded the demo. And this was my first time playing Final Fantasy XV. I did not play the the Duskay demo that came with Type Zero. Mm. I've seen the Duskay demo. Let me let me preface everything by saying that I've seen the Duskay demo. Stephen played it when we we streamed it together, and I got to ask questions, and it it looked pretty cool. And I was like, I don't know if this is going to be for me, but at least it looks interesting. This demo, hmm. It's uh, very weird. It, it is. Oh. It is not a good we demo. <laughs> establish first and foremost that, and and you said this earlier, um, is that it, it is definitely a tech demo. And yes. I'm not saying that that excuses necessarily. Maybe it is excused to some degree, sort of like the lack of content, if we want to use that nebulous term in the demo. It's definitely just there to show off the game engine, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Like, this is what the game looks like. These are our weather effects. Like here are some cool. You know environments, um, but the combat when you're a kid, I I think it's an adorable idea. I, yeah. I like the idea of like something's going on in the main game. So Noctis is in a dream, and it's him reliving. You know him being a kid. I think that's really cute. Um, the combat as a kid is is basically n- not combat. It's just hold it's down hold the button to win. Yeah, you can you can mess around with the fireworks to get sort of a feel for how the magic works. Um, so the, for me, the real meat of the the demo as far as gameplay wise is is the final boss fight like we all know mm-hmm. and the initial boss fight when it happens is over in a flash if you just attack him yeah um, the, the you can unlock the level 15 version of that i don't know if you did that rob Bought the harder version of it i didn't um i was so so like when you're playing as little baby noctus and you're hitting people with a giant hammer which was really cute because it made like the little boing sound when you hit it I was like, okay, you know, I get what's happening. Then when I turned into Big Noctis, I was like, all right, here we go. Now it's time to fight. And I think because you don't have the teleport at that point when you fight the the Iron Golem right there, it felt incredibly sluggish. Like, incredibly sluggish. And I'm like, okay. I'm sluggish even with a the teleport. There's a <sighs> delay 
in teleporting anywhere that's kind of everything just feels delayed like i was expecting maybe i was wrong but i was expecting kingdom hearts which is really like you know press the button and sora swings that damn keyblade and smashes people with it and this was like i was phoning in an attack to noctis he was picking up the phone going okay simon i got you and then he would bring out his big sword and start getting ready to swing it and i'm like dude just swing the freaking sword like Jeez. Yeah, there's there's still some response issues. I feel like there it's not it's not responsive enough, and switching between attacking and defense or dodging is still sluggish to me. I do want to say that I, I am seeing a little bit of the same issue for you, Rob, as as Final Fantasy 13, which is of course way more hands off. Uh-huh, uh-huh. um, but I think that. Final Fantasy 15 and again this is speaking from a demo like I need to see how the how it controls in its fullest state with all the options available before I can make a judgment on whether or not I think this is a, a good battle system but in Final Fantasy 15 it seems a little bit more like you're setting up what you want to happen in terms of selecting your weapon or your positioning or making sure that you're reacting by dodging appropriately yeah. but the actual attack thing is like I don't know the animations are happening but it's not like you are pressing the button expecting him to do, like, I want him to do the overhead slash right now. Like, this isn't Devil May Cry, where I mm-hmm. want to have precise control over every slash he does. It's just like, if I hold circle, I expect him to be attacking in that moment. And I don't know exactly what form that attack is going to take. So that does, that to me, that echoes a little bit of Final Fantasy Thirteen, And it's like, you know, you're more controlling the paradigms. Like, you're the tactician from a bird's eye view saying, I want this person to attack, I want this person to stagger, I want this person to heal. And while that's happening, the auto battle command is filling in the commands for you because that's not really the point. Mm-hmm. So the, the point there is to, is to do the macro level strategy. And I see a little bit of that in Final Fantasy XV's battle system. Again, this is super early. So yeah, I, I, I totally get where you're coming from. That's just the vibe that I get they're going for. In right. And, and and it's like, maybe I just have to get into the right mindset. Maybe it was, hey, I had been convincing myself that this was Kingdom Hearts ever since they showed that one, like, actual gameplay demo at the party where, like, he fought, like, the behemoth. Do you guys yeah, remember yeah. that? Like, maybe I had gotten into my head for years that this was going to be a Kingdom Hearts game when it wasn't. And I was surprised, like you're saying, when I was holding down a button and I started just swinging the sword over and over again. And I was like, okay, maybe this isn't so much an action game. I can make maybe get behind that and you know even if it's not my cup of tea or if i do end up liking it it's different than what i was expecting but i i don't really know what the purpose of this demo was my, my question would be why didn't they just release the dusk demo for everybody i feel like that was the smarter decision like well you mean like the dusk demo but updated with the current version of the combat system? yeah because there I, are definitely differences i, I would have said just release okay. that i i think the platinum demo if that was your first exposure to final fantasy 15 again i i don't want to speak for everyone but i know me it was like an instant turnoff i don't i have a hard time believing that the choice between the two demos they went with the platinum demo like that, that t- I would have been in that board meeting, putting my hand up, going, "Why don't we show them what the game is instead of a tech demo where you step on things and and make the sun go up and come down?" Well, they had been talking for a while though about giving us a second demo that was specifically supposed to be in a city to show us a different environment yeah. from Duskai, because Duskai is huge it's a giant giant you know section of the of the open world and mm-hmm. it, that was the intent was to show you how that sort of 
gameplay works and they wanted to show maybe a different aspect of it. Uh-huh. I don't know how it turned into or if it if it was ever something other than what we got in Platinum Demo, if it was supposed to be something a little bit more substantial or if this if if it morphed into this because of time or or whatever um but there is there is that um i wasn't i wasn't particularly impressed with what they showed us of the city environments although again it's a three something odd gigabyte demo uh-huh. i it, it hasn't been optimized they still have you know what five six months before the game releases so there's still Obviously, a tweak's going to be happening. I didn't necessarily take the uh, graphical performance of this to say, oh, well, the game's going to look like butt when it came, comes out. Um, pre-order, pre-order cancel. But, yeah, I don't know. Um, it was fun to, like, mess around with the days, the night cycle and the weather, and to turn into a car and random monsters <laughs> and, and just go... And to town on on enemies, the uh, the, um, the spell effects were really pretty, um, really really pretty spell effects, especially like the uh, the rain spell that you can get near the end, yeah. or the um, the meteor balls that just like explode in a thousand different balls of flame and just kill everything. Uh, I think it was kind of awkward how you have to use spells. Like, are they all going to be grenade? style like you have to aim them kind yeah. of awkwardly i think it's i think that was way too slow yes because it takes you it takes you out of combat and enemies can just dash up to you while you're trying to position that i think if it were faster like i'm, I'm envisioning uncharted where you have like uh you hold down your your trigger and you get like the arc the arrow that shows you the arc of the spell and they you can kind of release that while you're moving around i think that's much better but having to remain stationary while casting uh i I don't feel good about that design decision, and there's still time for them to change it based on yeah. feedback. So. Yeah, yeah, I, I I don't want it to seem like I am against this game or that I think it's going to be terrible. I just was a little, I, I was a little surprised that this is what they decided to go with. If that makes sense, yeah, it's, it's no, yeah, it's a, it's a weird. If I'm being all, totally honest, a weird choice. Do, do you think at all that it's uh, sort of their attempt to? like raised interest in the expanded universe of the game as it were so people would be more excited about all these other random things coming out but currently aren't that excited about yeah i think i think every facet of the the extended universe stuff that they've unveiled is meant to get you more invested in the world as a whole and they said the the dude who came out on stage and introduced the demo at uncovered was really really awkward but um, yes. he he was saying that he that their intention was to give it give even people who you know don't know anything about final fantasy 15 a fun demo to like a fun environment to get in but i mean realistically like who the hell is going to be like i've never heard of this final fantasy before let's see what this is all about and then you'd play that demo and then leave it there like i don't think so but yeah, but part of that strategy, of course, is to... Well, I mean, it's a demo. Like, what is their strategy in releasing a free demo? It's to, A, solicit feedback, and B, to invest the consumer in the product so that people want to buy it. Like, right, right. The only thing is, if someone who's never... doesn't know anything about 15 looks at this demo, they're not going to know what the heck is going on, and it's going to give them, from what we can tell based on what they've shown and from Dusk Eye, a much different idea about what the game 
is going to be than what it actually is. Yeah, that's true. I, I think the the combat, adult combat, is pretty representative of, we're gonna, of what we're going to get in the final game, albeit scaled back. But yeah, the the whole section with uh, being a kid and just kind of wandering around is like pretty. It's more or less totally disconnected from what the final game is going to play like. Yeah. So, so I don't know. It's it, interesting. I, I don't. I don't dislike the demo. I thought it was really cute, and it was a fun hour of my time because I uh, maybe an hour and a half because I meticulously explored everywhere. Fun hour and a half um, got me more excited for the game, but uh, yeah, I don't think that the demo itself was like an amazing experience that is going to change people's minds if they're feeling any trepidation about fifteen. You know what's what's interesting for me is. I came away from the Uncovered event and Platinum Demo kind of like, you know, didn't really change my opinion strongly one way or the other about the game and my excitement level for it. I was still just kind of, I'm, I've been consistently at a mid-level to maybe slightly hyped, but not super hyped about the game consistently and nothing that I saw necessarily, you know, put me into overdrive mode, but Strangely enough, the details that we got uh, in the latest Game Informer and their talk with Tabata and showing some of the early footage from the first chapter of the game, that got me a lot more interested and excited for the game hmm. than anything in Uncovered and anything in either demo that okay. I've seen so far. Can I ask what it was exactly, Caitlin? Because like, that's what I want to hear. Is I want to hear like what what you and I seem to be on the same page, a little bit more trepidation. What's the part that really had you excited? Well, the Game Informer article has lots of little tidbits about how things work um, stuff like uh, abilities and weapons and uh, little tiny little things like all of your party members have um, a hobby that they're into and you can like indulge them throughout the game like Prompto likes to take pictures and if you stop and let him take pictures he gets better at it and take better pictures and Noctis likes fishing and uh uh, I forget what Ignis likes to do, but Gladius is all about survival he, skills. He cooks. cooks, right? Yeah, cooks. Yeah. So that was a neat little feature to have. Like your characters aren't just there to be dialogue factories and to be combat buddies. They also have their own thing that they'll they'll grow if you if you indulge them in it. Um, they gave a little bit of detail about Noctis and Luna's relationship, which I thought was really interesting to describe. We. Oh, we already know that they have an arranged marriage, so that's not necessarily news, but to sort of describe, they're not going to be, it sounds like a typical romantic, you know, romantic love kind of story. It's more of, you know, political, at least initially a political setup, but that they're supporting each other. And I thought that was an interesting way to have the main male character and the heroine juxtaposed compa- compared to previous Final Fantasies, where it seemed like they're always supposed to be destined lovers or whatnot, you know, like that I I wish I like, I love a good romance story, but it's always interesting to have nuanced and more, you know, more mature, I guess, or less uh, lovey-dovey kind of stories Uh, out there. I'm waiting for them to pull us, uh, pull a Metal Gear Solid 2 on us and have chapter two be you play as Luna for the rest of the game. And it's awesome. I'd be on board. Was Luna, which was the cut character? Who did they cut out of the game? Stella. Okay. Okay. And then just the way that Tabata talks about the opening of the game, he basically 
sort of, you know, not specifically, but they went over the basic structure of the first chapter of the game and how it it sounds like it's going to maybe start a, lot, a little bit slowly because you're essentially on the road to go, I guess, to go marry. Go get, go get hitched. Go, go get married. <laughs> get me the chapel on time. Um, go into the chapel, baby. Go and then, get Like married. Derek says, you find out that something's happened back home and he talks about how like you know at that point things start getting serious and maybe a bit more fantastical in nature and that had me interested the some of the footage showed the guys watching these gigantic airships traveling across the sky and i you you get the idea that that that's probably because shit's going down and they know it and they have to, to book it. That that all got me really interested, a lot more interested in the story because before what they had told us was it's going to be a road trip with bros. It's going to be a bro trip. And there's nothing wrong with that. That could be interesting, but that was that was one of the big details that we had and that was all we had going forward. And I thought, well, if that's the entire game, I don't know. But having a, this little context here where like the first it starts off it's kind of a bro trip but maybe it's going to turn into something more serious and having to do with the political side of the story which was frankly what interested me most about this game going into it now i can sort of see that 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 vision a little bit i mean maybe it's not at all what i think it's going to be and we'll see but based on what they revealed for game informer I'm more interested in the world and the story now than I was from anything that they showed, frankly, from the huh. anime or Kingsclave. So I, uh, I do. I have an issue with this idea of the road trip that keeps coming up because I, I realize that they're making it clear that these characters are going on a journey together, and they keep bringing it up as the road trip because they're in the car. But I think, like, I'm getting tired of the this dialogue that's been popping up of like. Here it is, like, the the bonding between bros. You're going to experience it. I, I feel like the constant... The, the people referring to this constantly as, like, a bro road trip is weirdly reductive and heteronormative. Like, this whole idea that, like, there's only one way that men can bond, and you're going to see it in this game. Like, I don't know why they're so insistent. Not, not necessarily the, the developers, but a lot of people are really insistent on being, like... This is just bros being bros. If I bro, like, why does it? Why does it have to be like that? Why? So if if a girl was in the party, it would totally ruin everything. No, well, like I, I think just think it's stupid that that's their just. That's often the justification for why there isn't at least so mm-hmm. that we know a female party member of the main four. If if I could jump in a little bit, and Derek, I want to say that I do agree with you too. I am a little tired of that kind of reductive way of talking about this game, and I, I think it actually hurts the title, at least in terms of my interest in it. If I could, though, on the Eight Four Play podcast, they talked a little bit about how like I, there's going to be a um, a new cover version of Stand by Me in this movie, and Stand by Me is a very very big movie in Japan. So maybe that. I, I'm, uh, well, the the song and the movie, so there's going to be the song version. And remember, there was the Stephen King uh, novel about Stand By Me. Uh, River Phoenix was in it before he tragically passed away. And that's a very beloved movie in Japan. So may- 
I, I'm not excusing it, uh, and I'm, I'm not using that to throw out there and be like, oh, this is totally justified in what they're saying. But, like, I think that's what they're going for with this, because that is very much a a male-centric movie about the bonding of young boys. And I think that that's, that's a cool story that you can tell, but I agree with you, kind of breaking it down and saying this is the only way that young men can interact is by going on a road trip and, you know... That that's a little reductive, and I agree with you. But I think maybe that's where it's coming from. If that makes sense. Yeah, I can understand that. Uh, and I did read a statement from I want to say it was the producer, Tavada, maybe saying that in this game the the cover of the song "Stand by Me" is more about Noctis's gratitude for the people in his life, his friends right. that are taking care of him. And I I really enjoy that sentiment. I I just I love the idea of you know, a group of characters learning about each other and growing and supporting each other and being there. It's, it's why I love the cast of Persona 4 so much before all this been off. Be, but <laughs> the, just some of the, the conversations surrounding that has been weirdly off-putting to me. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't think that it's going to be a bad story. I'm very excited to experience the story. It's just like, y'all, we can do better than talk about it in this framework. I would agree with you. I would agree with you. And, you know, I'm excited for Final Fantasy XV. There's some trepidation in it. Um, I really hope it's good. We just have to see. I will be buying it. Like, I don't want anybody to think that I'm I'm going to, like, oh, I'm not going to buy it because they're not making the game that I want them to make. Like, no, I'm, I'm going to give it a shot. I hope I enjoy it. Um, Caitlin, you wanted to talk a little bit about the, the open world nature of Final Fantasy XV because I think that'll play in a little bit with what Tooker's been playing. Um... You you sounded a little critical, and that's why we called you the Kraken. But you've actually been very, very, very calm, somewhat. Uh, See, I can be. <laughs> but like, what, what was your well, feeling having played the Duskay demo with regards to that? I well, Duskay was was weird. Um, I'm not. I think now, from what we know, it, it takes place during the early part of the game. Um, that you still you're still supposed to have the the same thing where the, your car breaks down and you have to repair it. Apparently, you don't have to hunt the behemoth now, so maybe it's not quite involved. But the concern for me and a lot of people going into the sky and even after the sky was that it's just going to be this wide open space with some quests to do, and it's going to feel empty. Like it'll be this beautiful, you know, the you know the graphics engine is still really impressive. It will mm-hmm. look nice, but it'll just be a big open space for you to run around, fight monsters, uh, hopefully with a good combat system, and do quests. And it won't necessarily feel as much like a story-driven Final Fantasy game does. Um, and that's another reason why I'm now more, I think, invested after. Uh, some of the game informer information and and hearing to about to talk about it was he actually specifically addressed that issue of what to do with open world games and story and he talked about how rather than uh let me see if i can phrase it correctly rather than create the world and have it be this open world and then try to fill it with story they wanted to have the story and make it as open as possible without losing 
the sort of, you know, the, the focus that we come to expect from Final Fantasy games on their story. And I, that reassured me a lot. Um, we still don't, you know, we still need to see how it plays out. Um, Duskai still felt a little bit like an empty, wide open space. But then again, you had a really limited amount of things you could do with Duskai, you know, by intention. It was supposed to be a small chunk. So, we don't know necessarily how it's going to be in the full game, but hearing him talk about it like that made me feel better. Like it's not going to be the, you know, the Assassin's Creed scenario where it's a an open world purely for the sake of being open world, and the only way to fill it is to have a bunch of repetitive stuff that doesn't necessarily do anything to develop characters or story. It's going to be more from you know what he's saying, the opposite. The characters and story are going to be there, and we're just going to give you as much space to explore them and to see how they grow and what they do and what they get up to, but not necessarily make it feel like it's so wide open that... You know, you, you're you're doing stories in you know concentrated chunks, and then you're doing lots of nothing but running around, exploring, not doing much of anything. Uh-huh. You know what? I think they're evoking actually on a bigger scale, perhaps, and it's it's a little bit harder to see the parallel with the way that next generation games are when they're open world. But like you know, older Final Fantasies, like what pre ten had world maps mm-hmm. and yeah. they they had these big open spaces and of course like a world map is a lot more simplistic mechanically like you can just kind of walk around and enter a new place it's not like you can interact with stuff on it but in some final fantasies you know in earlier ones there'd be stuff like okay well you're on the world map now and you need to head to this place but you can kind of tool around in other locations and do some side questy stuff or at least talk to npcs and villages that uh you wouldn't go to until later in the game whatever that may be so i'm getting a little bit of that feeling uh you know, they're, they're trying to replicate the world map experience by having big open areas for you to explore without, like you said, making it just a large space and filling it with, like, find 28 chocobo feathers, although they may do that. They, they may do that. Yeah, that'll be... Yeah. And, and I know, like, uh, Tucker, to get you in here a little bit, you've been playing some Dragon Age Inquisition, and... I think at the start of the game, you were kind of struggling a little bit because the game does not do a very good job of explaining to you. You should probably only spend a couple hours in the hinterlands and then keep going forward. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, Talk about your, yeah. Talk about your experience with that a little bit and kind of what you're hoping to get out of final fantasy 15, if that makes sense. Yeah. So yeah, that was my, my big thing is I, I got started with, excuse me, with uh, dragon age inquisition finally. Um, And you, you, you start off at the, Haven, and they say, okay, go out to the hinterlands and gain, uh, you know, complete enough quests to get four power. And then the idea is you're going to come back and pick up some more, you know, information and, you know, like maybe unlock the place that you can upgrade your equipment from and all that stuff. But it took me long enough just, you know, playing in a fractured, you know, like, oh, well, I got 20 minutes now. I got you know, an hour now that I forgot completely that I was supposed to go back. And I ended up spending like my first 20 hours out in the hinterlands, just wandering around finding, Oh, well, there's another cave. Um, here's a random trio of three guys who need killing. Um, before I finally, uh, randomly on the, the map noticed that I could go back to the world map from there. Um, 
and uh, yeah, it was really uh, it was really directionless and boring, which was disappointing because I really you know I really love their games in general. I really love uh, you know I love the origins, and yeah, when it comes to uh, an open world game like that or like Final Fantasy fifteen or you know whatever, I think. I think I, I personally want there to be uh, a balance between that idea of you can go wander around and do whatever you want, um, and here are a couple of things that you could shoot for right now, but here's the thing that you're really supposed to be doing, and what I'm what I've you know found not just in Dragon Age Inquisition, but in some other games as well that are open world like that, is here are a, a, a million things that you could be doing, and uh, there's the main quest way over there, maybe. Uh, or, you know, what if you... How, can you come back to these things and do them later if you go on with the main quest? Who knows? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I had such a hard time staying focused in Dragon Age Inquisition. Yes. Like I, I, see why. I remember when, when we were talking about it first on the show before I got it, Rob was like, let me give you a piece of advice. Leave the hinterlands. <laughs> Don't stay there. And I and I listened to him and I actually I did and went to other places. But even then, I would still get sucked into just the endless side quest chain and lose sight of my major objective. And I, I, I never beat the game. Um, can't even really remember where I was in the story just because... I was so consumed by doing side stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like, uh, where, where's the plot? I, I don't remember where the plot was going anymore. If I go back and if I if I do finish it, Derek, it will be in a sense as if you had finished it because aside from the pointy ears and no glasses, is my character looks a lot like you. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, Derek the Elf. Derek the Elf. <laughs> so I'm, I, you know, I, I think we've given our thoughts on Final Fantasy 15. And I think we're all excited to see what they do. I, I think that it's it's reasonable to have some trepidation and not because, you know, some of us weren't fans of Final Fantasy 13. It, it's just more of a statement of what they're doing is very ambitious, which is really cool. But it's also dangerous. And that's kind of what you love in a developer sometime. It's like, hey, they're shooting for the moon on this. It might work. It might not. Let's uh, let's see what they do. Is that fair? And if, if 14 has shown us anything... It's that they can take feedback and uh, make some pretty big changes to improve the game. Yep. Yes. I, I just hope that we don't need to restart 15 the way they had to restart 14. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think they will. I mean, I haven't seen anything that makes me think that that's going to be the case. But let's just hope that that doesn't become necessary. Yeah, I think even if it releases with its combat in, in its current state, so long as they add a little bit more depth to it, it'll still be passable. Mm-hmm. But... It, I have faith that they're going to keep layering stuff on and make it better. So, yeah. Sure. Well, uh, Derek, you still have the floor. Uh, I want you to talk to me a little bit about Hyper Light Drifter and why we're not going to cover it. Man, <laughs> Hyper Light Drifter. Hyper Light Drifter was the first game I ever backed on Kickstarter. Cool. And that was back in 2014 or maybe it was 2013. I can't remember. But I want to... Yeah, I think it was 2013 because I think it was a three-year dev cycle on it. But... Um, still glad I backed it. Great experience. I uh, I played through it pretty much over the course of a weekend and beat it in those three days or so. Uh, my final time 
according to my file, was five hours and some change. Steam says I've logged about nine hours on it, and I, I don't know how much it counts when you die. Because... <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. You die a lot in that game. Yeah, I was getting my ass kicked playing that a little bit. Uh, I was doing okay, and then I got to the first boss in the northern area, and the game was like, I'm going to mess you up. And I was like, all right, all right, that's fair. screw around. Uh, It does the... So for me, it does the the souls sort of... um, I keep wanting to use the term framework. I don't know why today, but it, it has the souls framework in that it puts you in a world and doesn't give you a lot of information about exactly what you should be doing. Although I know that later Souls games and, and Bloodborne as well rectified that to a degree. But Hyperlight, you just kind of start. Like you get this gloriously spectacular, haunting, oh, so ethereal opening scene. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, the, <laughs> the music, the pixel art, the color palette is just like, that is so my aesthetic. I love it so much. So... Yeah, you, you start with this incredibly cool opening sequence, and then you're just kind of in this world. You start in a hub town, and uh, it becomes clear just some, from the visual language that you need to go to one of four dungeons in the north, south, east, west. Um, clear each of those dungeons, and then something will happen. You don't really know what's going to happen until you beat it. But each of those dungeons has a different theme. Um, they're, I mean, at their core, they're not terribly exciting areas like one there's like snow mountain water area what um desert ruins and forest lava woods. oh forest yeah uh no not lava actually I'm, and i'm glad because yeah. uh, lava level uh yeah, yeah so it's it you know you you're dumped into this sort of alien world there's a ton of visual storytelling in fact it's all visual storytelling because this game has no dialogue um, the most you get is there are little NPCs that you'll encounter every now and then that will give you dialogue boxes full of these pixel art illustrations that fill in some gaps in the game story, and then you have to, or rather, give you a story, and you have to fill in the gaps using your imagination, which I really, really like because it's been a while since a game has really pushed me that hard to use my imagination, but still given me enough to say like, okay, here's what, I, here's my theory about what's going on in this world, but. It, it crafts this incredibly beautiful, and I'm going to use the word again, haunting world. Um, it's it's sort of vaguely post-apocalyptic. Uh, your main character, the Drifter, is this blue person with this cape covering them, and they're obviously very sick. They keep coughing up blood um, at regular intervals. The, the game will kind of wrench control away from you for a second and make you stagger coughing blood. So you know that things aren't going well. You don't know if you're searching for a cure or what's going on here, but you're... You're, you're thrust into this world and all you really do is you're like, okay, I'm going to go explore. It's got this really tight combat system that for me, it executes it what I wish I could get out of a Souls game and that it feels it's so technical and I mean, every frame counts. It's like you have a very quick sort of teleport almost dash and uh, a gun and a sword and that's all you start with and you can upgrade all of those with some some very interesting things like being able to reflect projectiles or throw little bombs or chain dash really fast but the core of the game is these these skirmishes that you'll get into as you go through Zelda-esque dungeons and uh, you have to fight waves of enemies typically and they're hard yep <laughs> really really hard you will die over and over and over and that's not necessarily a bad thing because I, it lets you restart quickly enough that you don't feel terribly punished. Like, you don't lose anything when you die except for your time. And um, there was a patch the day after the game release that lets you speed up the reviving animation, so it's, it's like a second long. You might have to run back depending on where you died at because there's some sort of wonky checkpoints in the game. 
Um, and some of the encounters can be really frustrating, but overall, this is like a <clears throat> it's a it's a game that's in the vein of Zelda: Link to the Past with much faster combat, a la Dark Souls, or you know, pick action game of your choice. Um, but the reason why we're not covering it at RPG Fan, despite how much I like it, is that they removed all of the RPG elements from it over the course of development. Mm-hmm. And in earlier screenshots, they showed things like every time you hit an enemy, you'd get a little damage, like numbers that would pop up with the damage. Um, I presume there were stats on your character to affect that kind of stuff. But now it is just totally action, which is, uh, you know, it works for me. I think that the game is good as is, and I don't know that having RPG elements would really make it much better. Um, it's just kind of a very twitchy action exploration game. And it's certainly very frustrating at times, but damn, is it beautiful. It, uh, amazing musical score, amazing world. It tells so much without having to say anything. And I'm, I'm really in love with it. I don't, I don't think it's a perfect experience, but it's one of those games that I can acknowledge its critical failings. I said, well, you know what I mean? I can be critical of it, acknowledge its failings, and still be like, damn, awesome game. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we won't be covering it at RPG Fan, but uh, I, I think it's a successful game. I think that if you... I don't... It, it, what am I trying to say here? It's so hard that I know that's going to turn some people off, and I, I'm not trying to buy into the cult of prestige, as I've heard it called, with people who are like, well, if you don't like Dark Souls, just get good at it, Scrub. Because I think that difficult games are definitely rewarding for the right type of player, not for everybody, and Hyper Light Drifter is definitely a difficult game. Um, it does things for me that make up for that difficulty, you know, by having having this sort of art direction in this world that I'm really invested in, that works for me, and that allows me to surmount that obstacle of difficulty. Because anytime I would get frustrated with the game, I just like put it down for a little bit and say, okay. And like I said, I, I beat the whole thing over the course of a weekend, so it's I don't I'm not trying to say like, oh, I'm so good at games, it wasn't that hard. Um, I'm not always great at action games, and I there was a lot of hitting my head into a wall and getting getting annoyed, but. Um, I overcame it eventually. I don't think it's an impossible game. And uh, if you look it up and the style works for you, I think it's absolutely worth checking out. Mm-hmm. I think it's, what, 15 20 bucks. I think it's 20 right now. It's still on a 10% discount. Um, okay. And I like that you brought up the fact that it's very easy for the the. I, I hate calling them hardcore gamers, but the kind of souls or hard game evangelists that kind of just talk massive crap about these games and say like, oh, if you don't like it, it's your own fault, and they're amazing, they're great. It's like, no, not every game needs to be super hard, like, you know, and some people aren't going to get a whole lot of enjoyment out of that either, like, I think your mechanics have to be very, very solid for somebody to enjoy a game like that, and it's not going to be for everybody, and I don't want anybody to think that I'm always saying oh, a Souls game is the perfect game series for everyone. No, it's I very much enjoy it, but I recognize that my gaming tastes are different than other people's. So I, I think it's very interesting that you like this game as much as you do. Um, do you think maybe it, it's a combination of the pixel art style and the very precision controls that maybe it's yeah. kind of it's kind of filling in those gaps that you're kind of feeling with the Souls games a little bit? Yeah, exactly. Because for me, I, I've never been able to get that into souls because i just don't really like i'm not a fan of their art direction it's, yeah, just, it's yeah. not for me it's just like the sort of the, like the western fantasy kind of art style doesn't jive with me and i don't think that that makes it bad it's just not my kind of thing so if i can get the same kind of experience in 
2D, which works better for me. I just I like the the feel, the control of, of the 2D of that kind of game in 2D. And then it has this really, you know, it's so vibrant and mm-hmm. colorful. Um, everything's animated beautifully, and uh, I like it, it. Still has that sense of mystery in the world because you'll see things like you'll walk by a, a robot that's overgrown with moss. Yeah, has, yeah. Has a trail of blood at its feet, and you're like, wait, how is that possible? So, yeah, it, it nails a lot of the same notes that Dark Souls and Bloodborne do, but it presents it in a different way that I found a lot more palatable. So, yeah. It's very haunting. It's very haunting. Yeah, I, I would have a really hard time reviewing this game because I know that it has issues in encounter design for sure, and I know that the, the difficulty level can be extremely frustrating and mm-hmm. it's not going to that's not going to work for every player so i think i would have a hard time uh you know giving this a score because i think it's one of those games that it affected me a lot i, I was going to say profoundly i mean it was a relatively short experience and, and i really connected with it in that short time and i'll probably go back and replay it when it comes out on ps4 because i've got a uh a key for that coming because I backed it on Kickstarter and got the PS4 key. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to have another copy of that coming anyway, and I'll probably try to run through it for trophies or something. Cool. Um, cool. But yeah, cool, cool experience. And, and this is a debate, ladies and gentlemen, that we have all the time about what games to cover, what games to not cover. Uh, I've talked before about how we, we had a really long debate about dying light. Uh, we had a long debate about hyper light drifter. And, you know, sometimes it, it is really hard because you have RPG mechanics permeating everything right now, and it can be really hard to decide what to cover and what not to cover. So understand that if you guys are having those debates on the message boards or things, we are having those debates too. And uh, I don't think they get ugly, but uh, we, we definitely vocalize ourselves uh, quite a bit. And, you know, it, it is really tough to come up with what's an RPG, what's not an RPG. And I, I, wish, I, I wish it was easy to answer sometimes, and it is... It is anything but. No, there's there's been at least one game that we got as far as someone actually writing a review before <laughs> we just decided. You know what? This is not not an RPG. Oh, I'm glad that I'm glad that didn't happen to me. I would have been very pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> I had to put it on a private blog. I know Oof. it happened at least once because it happened to me. Oh God! What game was it? Uh, Monster Hunter. Well, oh, really? that's not uh, an way RPG. Back, way back in the early days. Um, <laughs> so, and there's yeah. there's even there's arguably more RPG elements in Monster Hunter than Hyper Light Drifter. Yeah, I was gonna say. Yeah, but so, we're not covering either. And, oh, and in so, what so, way is this an RPG anyway? I mean, look at it. You can't even quest. <laughs> also, all you do is push one button. So this was our coverage of Hyper Light Drifter. Yeah. Good game. Uh, and then you also got to play the uh, Bravely Second demo. Not to give you the floor for too long, but uh, you played that as well, right? Yeah, I'll just touch upon this one a little bit more quickly. Uh, so Bravely Default, I've made no secret of the fact that I think that game absolutely crumbles in its latter half. I think it turns into a pile of garbage and that garbage is <laughs> on fire. Wow! Man! I cannot believe how much disrespect there is for the player's time in the second half of Bravely Default because it asks you to repeat the same sequences, you know, with very, very little variation over and over. And we've discussed this to death. I know that Bravely Default does other great things like allowing you to turn off encounters, and that's fine. Um, But the story 
for me just uh, it fell apart and um, also controversial opinion I guess but I hate Ring a Bell holy crap such an obnoxious character oh my god so I couldn't you know having one character who I just totally couldn't stand in the party as well as the story doing what it did in the latter half um, you know I thought the ending sequence was cool when I got by the time I got to it I thought it was a lot of fun and a very interesting use of sort of breaking the fourth wall and all that stuff but um, Bravely Default was a game that I expected to absolutely love to death and I got I started pretty pretty warm on it and it got worse and worse and I was very unhappy with that game by the time I finished it and so I had kind of written off Bravely Second because I was like well you know this this went in a direction I didn't really like so I don't know if I'll like the second one so I downloaded the demo which is available on the eShop now it's called The Ballad of the Three Cavaliers and it tells you a little story like a side story that happens before the events of Bravely Second proper. Uh, all the demo really does is uh, introduces you to some members of the primary cast. It doesn't have the same playable cast as the full game will have. Um, it has uh, Tiz, Nikolai, Jan, and Magnolia. Um, sorry, not Tiz. You, you, and Magnolia. Y-E-W. It's a very confusing name. And I have a feeling that they're going to probably address that in some way in the plot, like with the fourth wall thing. Like, you, the player, are you, Y-E-W. But uh, this demo doesn't... It gives you a little snippet of story that'll kind of whet your appetite for the game. Gives you access to a number of jobs. I want to say like six or seven. I can't remember for sure. Um, and you go to some some similar looking areas to the first game. But uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm liking the, the characters more this time around. I know that Adia and Tiz are returning to be two main characters in the final party. And those were the two characters I liked the best in Bravely Default. Uh, did I say you? Oh my god. Tiz and Idea are returning. I'm getting all these character names mixed up. And then there's added to the um, two new characters, you and Magnolia. Uh, so I think that the, the cast this time around is better and incorporates the characters. Well, better is very subjective. Is more entertaining to me. Um, more palatable. And then it, it incorporates the characters from Bravely Second into that. Uh, so I think the, the at least the character interactions look like they're going to be better for me in this one. Um... The new jobs seem interesting. I like what they're doing with them. Like, there's one that lets you combine magics to execute them in different ways. Like, you could, you know, you'll have uh, fire, but you can instead make a fire hammer where it's a physical spell, or a fire dart where it always goes at the beginning of the turn. So that's kind of a cool thing. And then, of course, you guys have probably seen some of the new jobs that aren't, they're not in the demo, but there's like the cat mancer, where yeah. you're, uh, you control cats. And I, it sounds AKA like it's the best class ever. Yeah, I think it's like blue mage e, and that you can use enemy abilities. But yeah, full four cat monsters. Let's do this. Yes. Uh, yep. All the cats. I know. So that. Oh, and then, Jesus. Uh, this is this is <laughs> oh, something. That, Rob, don't I have four. I have four cats. Don't even start with me. <laughs> I don't. Sorry, I don't want to go into so because I said I was going to touch. You know them. the impossibility of controlling four cats. That's what you're saying. I am a. I am a cat whisperer. That's they are fine. Respect the cat mancer. Someone who can control cats like that. They, cats don't want to be controlled. I'm sorry, they don't. Fearsome power. But uh, I do what I the can. One other thing that really has me excited about Bravely Second is it's kind of it's arguably a small change that I don't think a lot of people are going to care about as much. But in Bravely Second, there's a new mechanic wherein at the end of battle, sometimes it'll say one more. And you can continue on into another battle for a multiplied amount of experience and gold. Hmm. But when you continue into the second battle, all of your characters have the same amount of BP. 
which is the the brave points where it's like um, you can you can defend to accumulate brave points or you can spend them to go into the negative. So if you play Bravely Default, you know that you can act. Each character can act up to four times on one turn by sort of borrowing future turns. Yeah, I remember that. A thing that I really didn't like in Bravely Default is that my strategy would often boil down to I will have every character borrow four turns and unleash their strongest attack and hope that I wipe all the enemies out on my first turn. Mm-hmm. And then that would be it. Um, otherwise, you get punished because the enemies will hit you back for four turns you know, worth of attacks. But the thing I didn't like is that I would always use that same strategy because it was effective. Mm-hmm. And Bravely Second, this thing that lets you continue on to the next battle with the multiplier encourages you to efficiently use your actions and not just borrow four turns into the future. Do you understand what I mean? Like, yeah, it, it makes more sense for you to to act to, to strategize rather than just you know just dump all of your actions on at once. So to me, that actually makes a huge difference because I didn't I didn't like how battles boil down into the same thing every battle, regardless of enemy type and bravely default and in this one it's like okay i have a reason to make sure that i'm strategizing well and in every battle because i might get that bonus fight that gets me more experience for for playing well so that to me that's like i don't that's game changing to me as small of a thing as that may sound like so yeah between the the new cast you know i i don't really know where the story is going to go but between the new cast of characters at the very least and this new battle mechanic i'm pretty warm on bravely second so I'm looking forward to getting that when it releases next week. Cool. Cool. I saw a commercial for it on TV this morning, and I was like, that looks pretty cool. Yeah. So. New jobs are fun. Sounds good so, to me. I'll now relinquish the floor since I've... No, you had you had so much to talk about. It's totally fine. It's totally fine. Um, so we did Hyper Light. We did Bravely Second. Uh... So John uh, Tooker, I always want to call him John, but Tooker, Tooker, right, you, Tooker, no Tooker, 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 you've been playing some Yokai Watch and Moon Hunters. Talk to me about that. Yeah, I've been uh, kind of spreading my time around with a, a lot of different games, um, getting a bad reputation around town. But, uh, <laughs> oh, oh, oh wow, <laughs> wow, where do what we? If, what if you have? Do you have an arrangement though? Because it's okay. Look, I, I, I was raised Mormon, you know. <laughs> this is getting really bad. So which direction are we taking this in? I don't know. How many games are you committed to? Oh, God. Wow, Derek. Wow. Uh, so, uh, yeah. So, I uh, played some uh, Yokai Watch. Um, got, I got I got a fair way into it, but I haven't really felt that motivated to finish it for some reason. Maybe because I know Xenoblade uh, is also sitting in my backpack waiting for that 3DS slot. Um, but I, I do I do enjoy it. I, I like the the twist on that formula that we've seen, you know, in, in Pokemon for so many years. I like Pokemon a lot, but uh, you know, I like seeing some somebody do something a little different with it. Um, I like the the quests that you you know there's all kinds of random quests in that although I, I do feel a little bit the same way that I do about Dragon Age Inquisition where there's so many that sometimes I'm like well man I, I can't really progress farther in this game because I have so many things that I have to do I, I just gotta you know which 
discourages me from continuing on with the game. But if I could just not be such a completionist, I'd be okay. Uh, I mean, Xenoblade's gonna be real hard. Yeah, you're you're gonna have a rough time, buddy. Good lord, because you talk about all of the quests. I got out of the uh, I got out of the first village in uh, in Xenoblade. That took a long time. Yes, that takes the. uh... Oh man, you were in trouble. (laughs) Yeah, um, I'll say I had the same thing with Yokai Watch, though. I kind of fell out of like with it very quickly. Despite it yeah. being super charming, um, oh, yeah. and the yokai designs are a lot of fun, but I yeah, yeah they kind of dropped off my radar real quick. I stopped playing it and just was never really motivated to pick it back up. Yeah, I will say I, I, I like the battle system a lot uh, because it it keeps you engaged, but um, at the same time, you know, like, things are things are always happening, even if. You know, you're busy. Sometimes one of your yokai will get, uh, what do they call it, inspirited. Basically, they get stunned for a little while, and you can uh, take the bottom screen and bring them back in, you know, out of their stun. And even while you're doing that, the other guys are still attacking and things. So the battles don't drag on you know, forever because you're spending all your time getting people out of being stunned instead of doing attacks, uh-huh. that kind of stuff. Um, but there's a couple of people who may never leave my party because their special attacks are so strong they knock out you know everybody on the other side of the board. So it's got its good points and its bad points. Check out our review at RPGFan.com <laughs> for uh, all the details. Uh, <laughs> Am I allowed to plug that here? No. I think you're allowed to. I'm pretty Wait, sure. RP, RPG fan? Never, never. Yeah. This fly-by-night organization. I've never heard of it. Well, they're, they're, they're pretty decent. You should check them out. I'm sorry, Mrs. I'm sorry, Mrs. Maskowitz. It sounded like a BS reason to get out of school. I mean, come on, Yom Kippur. I mean, come on. <laughs> Classic oh, Simpsons joke. Yep. Oh, well. Uh, let's see. Also, been playing uh, Moon Hunters, um, and uh, Bob Richardson, uh, Lou and Lee have also been playing that. Uh, really want to have a review out for it, but the multiplayer is really kind of key to the experience, mm-hmm. and none of us have been able to get multiplayer working. That's that's not good. <laughs> That's like a deal breaker. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. a bit of a deal breaker. You have to. Um, you can play alone. You can you can complete the game all by yourself. Like actually getting through the game one time really only takes like forty five minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's one of those kind of kind of a sort of roguelikey games where every playthrough, you know, you you get things like. After each level, you sort of go back to a campground, and you can cook food. One of your options at, at night at the campground is to cook food that will improve everybody's stats in the party permanently. Dragon's Crown says hi <laughs> for the rest of the for the rest of the playthrough. But in each playthrough, maybe you you can get more ingredients, and those are unlocked permanently once you have them. Um, 
but uh, you know, so you, you play that over and over again, and it's actually pretty fun. Um, but it is a pretty similar experience all by yourself for those forty-five minutes, unless you, you know, once you've once you've played the, I think there's like five or six different uh, classes that you can play. You know, unless you really really loved one of them, there's not a lot of impetus to uh, play again as that same class. Um, in order to do multiplayer, uh, the host at least has to go to their like router settings and set up port forwarding and uh, stuff. It's really, really old school in terms of, uh, you know, it's like a step, just a step up from, you know, actual having to go to the same place and play on the land. Oh, that sounds terrible. Yeah. We, uh, we keep thinking that we have it set up correctly, but even so, we keep getting an error. And it, all it says is, error 5, no, error 11. That's it. And there's no, no anything about it anywhere on the internet that explains, you know, why we're getting this error. So, yeah. So that's why we don't have any that. I always really struggle with that, like, when a game has a technical flaw like that, like, the multiplayer doesn't work. Like, you know, how do you... Uh, that can be really hard when you're reviewing a game like that. And especially in a game where maybe that isn't clear when you're first playing it, like down the road, you start realizing, eh, multiplayer is a little broken, or maybe this new patch kind of screwed the whole game up. It's like, you know, we're not perfect when we're reviewing games, and that can be really, really hard. Like, how do you keep that stuff in context? That's stuff I always struggle with. Yeah. Mm. And, uh, yeah, like you say, we live in a world with patches, right? Yeah. Whatever whatever you review, maybe the problems may be fixed in a future patch or new problems may be introduced. Yeah. So, but overall, do you like Moon Hunters when you can get it working? Yeah, I mean, like the single player, uh, I've, I've had a lot of fun with it. Uh, there actually are a couple of classes that I've played as where I was like, that was fun enough. I'm playing through as that person again. Um, as you go through the game, um, you... It's the kind of, of game where you upgrade your skills by finding merchants and spending basically the experience points uh-huh. uh, on those merchants. And they don't always have... It's That's a, a way that it's kind of a roguelike, is that they don't always have the same upgrades. So um, in one playthrough, you, know, you may end up upgrading one of your skills all the way and another one not at all. Um, and in another playthrough, those upgrades aren't around, so you you know go a totally different path, and that does add a little bit of that replayability to a class that you do enjoy, or you know if you find a class you enjoy, and you add another you don't enjoy, you think well maybe if I got different upgrades, this guy would be more fun. Uh-huh. So I, I would uh, I do really wish I could you know get that uh, you know we could get the multiplayer working because the I think that some of the classes are really designed to work together or there's one who really seems like they're supposed to be just a support character. Um, you know, tough to play through, you know, a game as a bard, you know, in the classic D&D thing all by yourself. They're not really designed for a solo run. I can't, I'm not saying you can't be successful with it, just, you know, most games don't design things 
for that particular character. I think I think the bard from I think the bard from Mad Max Fury Road says hi, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm a yeah, bard. Yeah. What of it?" <laughs> That's true. Uh, or uh, the, the bard from the, the bard games. Um, <laughs> so yeah, but yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, there are there are exceptions to it. Sure. Um, and uh, since I'm talking about stuff I'm playing, uh, just this evening I started playing Stories Path of Destinies, which comes out, I think, next week. Um, it's an action RPG. Um, it's on PC and PS4. And sort of the hook with the game is it's a little choose-your-own-adventure-y. That's cool. You, yeah, you start out that looks kind of like Bastion, but it has a, a fox guy yeah. in character? Or yeah, okay. exactly. Yeah, you play as this fox guy named uh, Renardo, uh, so a French pun. Um, <laughs> and um, he's sort of a swashbuckling, piratey looking guy. And... As the you you there's a sort of initial prologue slash tutorial that uh, you get through you know on like every playthrough and then after that <clears throat> it's not it's not very long or I, I imagine it's every playthrough I haven't actually finished it yet um, but after that you get a choice of which branch to go down. Um, and I know from the things they've told me about embargoes, and I'm okay to say this much, it's the beginning of the game anyway, and I kind of feel like it's a huge spoiler. Um, the first choice that you make is, I have this buddy who's kind of a crazy guy, but he has told me he has a plan that will really help my cause to bring down the evil empire, you know, whatever. At that point, you don't really know a lot about your cause or there's this sword that I could go get um, and it's supposed to be really powerful and it can turn the tide in this same overarching quest that I have uh-huh. but if you go get the sword your buddy is you know he's he's stuck he's in jail he's probably gonna die um <laughs> So you got to choose which way you're going to go on that. And then after you know, after you get through that chapter, on comes the next choice of you know how do you proceed from there. So it seems like a game that's you know it's set up to have some replay value where you can see how the other paths would have taken you. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it has yeah. like the narrator thing too, right? Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Um, what I've played, like, um, there was a spot where there were a bunch of things to break, and they actually made what I, you know, I'm, I'm assuming is an intentional reference to Bastion, where there was a part early on in Bastion, she bashed a bunch of stuff. Um, the narrator talked about, you know, the kid just vented for a while destroying everything you can see or whatever right and they made almost the exact same line if you stood around and just broke a bunch of stuff in one area 
Mm. Am I the only one that didn't like? Am I the only one that didn't like Bastion on the show right now? I actually didn't like it either. Which uh-huh. is, I I I feel like I've never met anybody else who said that. I, not to be like <laughs> so unique. I'm a snowflake. No, I I really just didn't. I didn't care for Bastion. I, I didn't get it. I thought was a lot more my style, but it is so opaque and with so, its narrative and so up its, its like, own ass. It does. It does what like Hyper Light yeah. Drifter is so similar to that. And in my opinion, because it does like the here's a world that has this established mystery that you don't really know anything about and you have to figure out yourself except Transistor, what it does feed to you is so like it just comes off as so pretentious to me. Yeah, yeah. I what I've heard. I one hundred percent so Transistor was more my style than Bastion. I just didn't really care for it. I don't think it's a bad game at all. I can see why people like it. It just wasn't really my thing. Yeah, I like Bastion more as a game. But no. Yeah. Yeah, not everything is for everybody, as we were talking about. Right, exactly. I, I just no, think... I want everything to be for me. Oh. All, of, <laughs> All for me. What I deserve. <laughs> oh, Derek, you're going to get us into trouble again. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, I, But I will say, it, um, Stories has that narrator, but it's not a constant thing. He's not talking all the time. Um so. Is it is it is he a good narrator, like a, an enjoyable narrator, or an annoying one? I hate to say it, but I haven't had the chance to actually play the sound on yet, <laughs> so I don't know. Um, the dialogue is kind of funny, um, but yeah, I don't know how the voice acting is. I can tell from the options menu that there is voice acting because I had to turn the, uh, the sound down on, on that, um, but. I don't know how it is yet, unfortunately. But I you know, so just just barely started it. Um, we're going to be streaming that. Oh man, I should have said Moon Hunters. Uh, I don't I don't know if this uh, podcast will make it out before streaming that uh, this Sunday. And uh, if it doesn't, if the podcast doesn't make it out before, then check our YouTube channel, check the Twitch archive. You know, it'll be both places. And then the week after that. Um, uh, either Jesse or I will be streaming uh, stories past Destiny. So cool, cool. Hello. <sighs> All right, do it. Is it time? You say you say I, that you ask I, that so dejectedly. I've talked about all the things I can think of to talk about, man. I think we've talked about everything. We we have talked about everything, so so I think it's safe to now talk about Dark Souls three a little bit. Is that fair? Are we good now? Okay, I'm gonna put down my headphones and leave. No. See, I actually want you here for this, Derek, because I think that you you kind of help me like establish my thoughts whenever we talk about a uh, game that. Even if you're not interested in it, I always like how you come at it from a very academic approach of like, hey, maybe there's some things, you know, that we can talk about here, try to find some common ground. Like, I think that's important when you're talking about games uh, or anything for that matter. Like, if we talk about how awful Batman v Superman is, and I could sit here all day talking about I can't that. I believe you spoiled it for me before Let's the show. not open that can. Trust me, I was, I was making things better for you. I'm just kidding. I don't care. <laughs> No, but maybe we should have like a um, a segment on the show, the Dark Souls, Dark Souls. Your Dark Souls minute. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, that that would be awesome because you could challenge yourself, Rob, to only spend sixty seconds talking about Dark Souls, and you have to talk really fast, like you know, do a zero punctuation kind of thing. All right, here we go. So, so it's a game where you kill people and you gotta not die, and oh god, I died. There's a thing on a uh, on a British radio show where you have to talk for a minute and not ever pause or say um or uh or whatever. And if you do, then you lose. So oh. that, that could be it. As you long as you don't fail. pause, you can keep talking. So after all that, uh, I beat Dark Souls 3. Um Again, I am not reviewing it. We're going to leave our Australian friend to it. I, I might write an editorial, and I think you guys were harassing me at the start of the podcast that it's it's almost like I have written an editorial on yeah, our uh... like <laughs> on our staff board. There are pages of discussion about Dark Souls three, and it's Rob and uh, Andrew who's who's doing a review going back and forth and I, I swear you've written like three reviews worth of text i probably have but there's a there's a few more swear words in there than we're probably allowed to do so it, so it's good oh, for what was that you were saying tooker about this what should the scale be <laughs> yeah exactly the f-bomb scale one one point for every f-bomb oh uh, and so i said can we go over a hundred okay yeah uh, i think we we might when, so when you said three words three reviews worth of text i just thought for one review of a final fantasy patch yeah. Mike. Yep. Mike makes him long. You guys are tough he, on me. He's, he's, he's been getting good. He's been he's I been know. working on it. He requests you specifically too, which I think is funny. Why? What's funny what about that? Because, because when I used to, when I not used to, when I I guess when I was uh, proofreading his for him before, I was like, cut it down, cut it, cut it gently and kindly, of course. And I, I appreciate that. Every I I like everything he writes. He puts in so much detail. Yes. It's like a task that I would not want to tackle. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, is he making Caitlin proofread because he doesn't want me to tell him to cut stuff anymore? <laughs> well, you know, I don't shy away from telling people to cut stuff. I tell, I told him to cut stuff in previous reviews. It's just, I think, you know, I don't know. There's so much to say. Yeah. yeah. Well, he, had, he had to cut I mean, all the stuff. As, as evidenced by the sheer number of hours people put into it, there's a lot there. I think, so. I don't know, I started the tradition when I did my first proof, like, out of the blue, and then it was just, just kind of like, I've, I've become the unspoken Final Fantasy fourteen proofer, I guess, so I will proof all the things Final, Fa- Final Fantasy fourteen anyway. Yes. So I did not mean to move away. No, that's okay. That's okay. I'm... I'm- I am totally okay with relaxing a little bit before we talk about this game. You know, just collecting my thoughts, making sure that I have everything together. Before you raise. So, so I beat it. Um, and I like it. Um, I think it's good. Um, I was a little surprised reading the reviews because there was um, the embargo lifted and so people could put their reviews out very early, which is also showing the very screwed up nature of this game because it's been out in Japan and basically spoiled for anyone who wants to read about it online. Um, it's definitely good. Uh, I would say it's a little uneven. Um, there are really, really good parts. There are really, really trash parts. It very much feels like a game that was made by the Dark Souls 1 team and the Dark Souls 2 team. So there are moments that feel great and really ev- evoke that you know sense of mystery and sense of greatness of Dark Souls 1 or Bloodborne. And I guess I've become the Bloodborne evangelist online Um there's a few few other people that agree with me, but for the most part, people kind of fall into the, you either like Dark Souls or you like Bloodborne more. 
there are parts of this game that feel fantastic. There are parts of it that do not. There are amazing senses of scale and wonderful level design. And then there is, you know, the garbage hitboxes of Dark Souls 2 and how the hell did that guy just hit me? Like, all of a sudden, his attack became five times greater than the width of his sword. That's nice. Um, Most of the bosses I killed on my first go, the game did get harder as I went further through it, but not to a soul-crushing level. Um, There were a couple really neat standout bosses, including one boss who has some of my favorite music of the year. Uh, And the second to last boss of the game was pretty good thematically and from a gameplay perspective. But really, I found Dark Souls 3 a little forgettable. Um, I think the opening area starts out very, very strong, very Dark Souls 1, lots of interconnected pathways. Then the game kind of moves into a very Dark Souls 2. These levels are not laid out very well, and some of these monster designs are kind of boring. Then it gets good again, then it kind of gets uneven again, then it gets good again. It's it's just a very uneven experience, and I think that kind of speaks to my thesis on this game, which was if you if you go with the fact that Miyazaki co-directed this, the guy who did Dark Souls 1, Demon Souls, and Bloodborne, if that's your thesis that he co-directed this game, there are moments that really feel like he's driving it, and then there are moments that feel like the Dark Souls 2 team is driving it. I'm not pulling a revisionist history. I don't think Dark Souls 2 is a bad game. I don't think it is as memorable or as interesting as any of the other games in the franchise. And so Dark Souls 3 kind of feels like this weird mishmash of both gameplay styles. Um, I was surprised to see some dissenting opinions online. I expected this game was going to get straight 10s across the board, and there was going to be some revisionist history on it down the line, the way there was with Dark Souls 2. But you had a couple reviews like Polygon that were a little bit more critical. And, And I don't mean that in a, oh, this game's terrible. I mean that in a it's not maybe the best game that they've made. And how do you reconcile that as a reviewer? That's really tough. You know, how, how would I review this game? I honestly don't know. On our scale, I would probably come down between an 80 and an 85. I gave Dark Souls 1 a 90. I gave Dark Souls 2 an 85. This is a really, really tough game to review. But I think it is enjoyable. It's just not nearly as memorable as I was hoping it would be. And there, some of the problems, if we're if people are being honest with themselves, some of the problems that were in Dark Souls Two, they're still here. There, there's still garbage hitboxes. There's still, you know, flailing attacks that are just not fun to fight. There's still a little too much reliance on too many enemies and not enough interesting enemies. Like, oh, you threw five enemies at me. That's kind of neat instead of throwing, you know, nine enemies at me. That's what you were saying about the DLC for Dark Souls 2 specifically. Yeah. That, that was the encounter design. It was just like, have a whole bunch! Yeah. And, and it got really tiresome, and they don't feel as well put together. And some of the bigger knight enemies, they just do these flailing attacks that just hit you, and you're like... What was I even supposed to do with that? The character's not even facing me, and, like, their arm basically dislocated in order to hit me. There's a couple... There's one kind of weird creature design that is just terrible to fight. Like, I was getting bounced around by attacks that I couldn't even... I couldn't even tell what he was doing. So there's... There's that unevenness to the game, but... Overall, I can still recommend it. It's still something I enjoyed playing. I don't know if I will play it again. Um... But it was it was good. It was interesting. I just don't think it was as memorable or as 
daring as Bloodborne. And again, I know that makes me the Bloodborne evangelist, but there's there's also some really screwy things going on with this game. Yeah, you have like 50-some weapons, but so many of them are interchangeable, and I don't understand why anyone would advance, invest in the bigger weapons. Like, the great swords do marginally more damage than a regular broadsword. I just used the broadsword I picked up in the first area the entire way through the game. And if you look online, a lot of people are doing the same thing, because the great swords don't do a whole lot more damage. If the broadsword taps out at like 380, the greatswords tap out at like 420. I realize now that was probably the wrong number to pick. But, uh, it, yeah, ha, 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 I work at a boarding school. Ha, 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 ha. Um, but it, like, at that point, if it's so much slower, why would I pick it? You know, like, it, it's not doing a monstrous amount more damage like you would expect, so what's the point? So I think there's some balancing things that are going to have to go into it. There's 19 bosses in the game. Only three or four really stick out in my mind as really fun, challenging encounters. The rest of them are very forgettable. Or those kind of gimmicky bosses that are just obnoxious. So... I don't know. It's it's a tough game to, to really talk about, but... I think it's good. I think it's enjoyable. I think people that like Dark Souls will like this one. And I kind of don't have anything else to really talk about. Like, it, it is another Dark Souls game. I think the NPC interactions are really cool. Um, there's some good level design here and there, but it's also very slapdash. It feels very... It feels like a Frankenstein's monster in a lot of ways. Mm. So I say for... Well, I'm not the right person to talk to you about this because, you know, I'm not a huge fan of Souls, but um, Bloodborne is more my, more to my taste mm-hmm. than Souls is in general. I, I was going to tell you, I just watched my roommate play through uh, the Old Hunters DLC over the last week or so because he finally he finally got there and uh, it was the first time I had seen some of those bosses. Cool designs, cool, cool encounters. Uh, and what I've seen in Dark Souls 3 kind of pales in comparison to that. Yeah. It, it's very... It, I, I hesitate to say boring, but it is... It's just safe. It's like, you know, big big knights with big swords or people with, like... I have seen the last boss of Dark Souls 3 and, and it's, it's underwhelmed a, by it, the design. It is a big dude with a sword. Yeah. And, and, and guess what? A lot of bosses in the games are big dudes with swords. Or, or like a halberd. Or a scimitar. And that was the thing people complained about with Dark Souls 2. So it's like, for w- when the internet does what the internet does, and people go on and on about, oh my god, Dark Souls 3, it's the return of greatness. It's like, you guys complained about the same things with Dark Souls 2, right? Like... You guys complained about the boring monster design. You guys complained about lots of bosses that you just circle strafe and hit until they die. And guess what? You're still doing that. Like, it... it, I don't know. I I, I think that the the internet will be interesting with this game. I kind of want to watch the the burning car wreck that happens with it. Again, I don't want to suddenly sit here and start saying that it is a terrible game and it would get, like, a C-minus on our scale. It is still very very enjoyable but i just 
nothing is making a statement in this game the way Bloodborne did, and maybe that's the the aesthetics of Bloodborne are speak to me much more. That kind of real uh, Victorian era nightmare, very dark looking. I, I think that that speaks to me more as a player. But you know, even the uninter, even the not so fun fights in Bloodborne were at least interesting. So I don't know. Agreed. I don't know. It's it's weird. Uh, that's your Bloodborne. Uh, excuse me. That's your Souls. Five minutes right there. We'll we'll, we'll work we'll, we'll on it. Yeah. We'll we'll pare it down. We'll pare it down. But you know, it, it is what it is. I, I think I'm I'm finding myself surprisingly more excited for the next game from the Lords of the Fallen guys. They released like a little gameplay teaser for the Surge, which might be one of the worst titles I've heard. I really. I, the, the the surge is just a terrible title for a video game. Automatically think of energy ranks. I know it. It's just could could you guys have picked something else? But it looks like a sci-fi Souls game, which that sounds so much more interesting to me. I think knights and and armor. Yeah, that's, where, that's where we need to go next. I think that the the Western fantasy thing is pretty played out for yeah series. So. And I, and I don't mean that as a bad thing, and I know uh, some reviewers have, I think on one of Polygon's things, they talked about how they fully expect Bloodborne 2 to be announced at E3. Mm. I would be very conflicted if I heard that. Uh, on the one hand, yes. I... Well, yeah. It's annualized at this point. Like, I don't... If, or rather, if it, if it continues to be annualized, I really think it's going to continue losing in what makes those those games special. Yeah, it's like if you just keep doing the same because I've because everything I've heard criticism wise of Dark Souls three is that a lot of the areas are just kind of samey. Yeah, stuff that you've seen before, but just different variations. Yeah, that um, yeah. Same with the boss design. So it's like, all right, can we can we do something different? Which is why I think sci-fi is a great direction for it to go in. And I think Bloodborne was a great direction for them to go as well. Like take away the shield, form a new gameplay element around it. Um, kind of crank up the horror element of it. I remember when they gave out like the the little note cards after we saw it at E3 and they were like, you know, what was the most striking thing about this game? And one of the things was like the horror element. And I, I think the Souls games have always had that underlying air, uh, um, sense of horror, but they've kind of downplayed it. And, you know, this, this is the guy who would love to sit down and play, like, the NES uh, version of Sweet Home at some point and play, like, a real RPG horror game. Like, remember they were making a, an Aliens RPG back in the day? Like, that sounds really cool. Like, turn the horror up. I know, right? Yeah. Sounds really cool. So, I, I don't know. I, I think maybe Sci-Fi Souls is a little on the nose, but I, I just want Miyazaki-san to do something different. He's got so much talent, and I, I don't feel like it's wasted here, but it's kind of wasted here. It's like, you've, you've done all this before. Like this is, this is the same game with the same problems, with the same great parts, with the same lame parts. Bada bing, bada boom. We, we've been here, you know, bada bing. Uh, second verse, same as the first. Yeah. So thank you. Thanks for that. I do what I can. In other news, I've been playing some dragon quest four. I really like dragon quest four. It could not be more different. I know. Uh, it, it was this weird thing. So I always like kind of pay attention to Amazon, and there's always those games in the back of your mind that you're like, if that ever came in, or if that ever went on sale, I'd probably buy it. And like the DS remakes of Dragon Quest four, five, and six 
were always really hard to come by and I can't remember if it was five or six, but one of them got ridiculously expensive at times. It was five. And I picked up six when I was in West Virginia over the summer. I found it at like a GameStop and I, I paid like 20 bucks and picked it up and Jackie just rolled her eyes at me. I was like, I have to have it. And then like a week or two ago, Amazon just randomly had brand new copies of Dragon Quest 4 and 5 and I'm wondering if maybe they did a reprint the same way that Atlas did a reprint of uh, Shin Megami Tensei Nocturne and Digital Devil Saga and so I just yoinked up 4 and 5 and I started playing 4 and I I real I think I can articulate why I like Dragon Quest so much I I can't remember an RPG that has a better sense of power progression than the Dragon Quest games. You gain a level and get a new piece of equipment in that game and you feel so much stronger. And that that is just that thing that goes off in the back of your brain that's like, oh, I love RPGs. I, the numbers went up and I feel really, really good about the numbers going up. That's how I feel about the East series. Yeah, Especially yeah. the early ones, they do that. Like you get one, you know, there are five swords in the game. You get sword number two and suddenly you're a god. Yep, yep. I, I remember that when I played a little bit of East Origins. And like I played through the first chapter of Dragon Quest Four, and like Ragnar was really, you know, kind of weak at the start. And then just eight levels later, dude is a tank. And he's just taking things out left and right. And that just... Ooh, that feels so good as a gamer. Like, I just, I love that. And I think Diablo really gets that right. I think Persona really gets that right. And that is just so comforting to me as a gamer. Dragon Quest is JRPG comfort food, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and I think it's easy for people to bag on it a little bit, which which is a shame because I think that they've, especially with 8, they really went out of their comfort zone by building this absolutely huge monstrous world to to explore, and I just remember just spending hours just wandering in Dragon Quest 8. That, that ended up being my game of the PlayStation 2 generation, which is so bizarre because that was my first Dragon Quest game. And I just adored that game. I can't wait to pl- replay it on 3DS. Um, I'm really excited for Dragon Quest 7 on 3DS. We're finally getting it. Yay! They're, I get why people don't like them, but I also understand why people absolutely love this series. Because every couple of years you get a Dragon Quest game, it's got that really cutesy sense of humor about it. It's got a great sense of power progression. I really wish that they had gone and done with Dragon Quest 9 what they originally said. Remember when it was going to be much more of an online game, a little bit more of an action RPG? And then the internet kind of melted, and they went back to making a very traditional Dragon Quest game. I, I can't wait to see what they do with Dragon Quest Eleven. That just watching the tech demo on the PlayStation Four was just absolutely gorgeous. You know what I just realized is that we're going to play Final Fantasy Fifteen and Persona Five before Dragon Quest Eleven comes out. That's weird. That is weird. In my brain, I guess I felt like. 15 was never going to come out. Like, yeah, we'll play 11 before then. No. It's really no. happening. Yeah, it's it's re- happening. It's really happening. I wonder how many people will be out there and uh, see Final Fantasy 15 come out. Why like, is uh, Final Fantasy 15 come out in 2016? Shouldn't it be uh, 16? <laughs> yeah. I have... Uh, Final I'm... Fantasy 2K16. When was... So, Versus 13 was announced 10 years ago, was it? Yeah. Yeah. So there are currently kids that I will be teaching in five years that were born the year Final Fantasy 15 was announced. Well, versus 
13. I'm being a little cynical. I'm being a little bit of an asshole, but like that, that's wild. That's, that's really, really wild. Then I, I want to watch to get back to our uh, 15 discussion. I think that'll kind of round out the show, but I want to see if my students gravitate toward this game the way they did with the Witcher or Dragon Age Inquisition. Inquisition became kind of a big thing at the school. The kids really got into that. I don't know if they're going to have that connection with Final Fantasy because it has been so long since a traditional Final Fantasy game. And I would include 13 and traditional. Don't think that I'm going, you know, and saying, oh, back in my day, it was amazing. But like, these kids don't really know Final Fantasy. And so for them to talk about wanting to hit 10 million in sales, oof. that's such a high target. Wow. That's the same that same bro road trip thing is you don't think that's going to appeal to them at all i don't know i i don't really know because the aesthetic of the game uh, we we've talked about it before i find the aesthetic to be a complete turnoff you know just everybody running around with le- with leather and you know just the black black yeah, black black, and I, black black i wear a lot of black like caitlin you saw me at magfest like i wear black and a trench coat like i look yeah. like a bloodborne character come to life and i swear to god i brought that trench coat before the game was even announced i swear but like i i wear a lot of black but like the world of the game is so vibrant and the art is so vibrant and then these these guys are just running around in black leather and i'm like okay that's cool like but I can't tell them apart. <laughs> I don't care <laughs> if that if that makes me shallow. I, I apologize, but like I don't know if that's going to appeal to kids. But it kind of it kind of has to if they're going to hit ten million. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't matter if kids don't like it. They need kids to like it. I mean, look at the color scheme of Batman versus Superman. Oh, yeah, but oh why would you fair, do that? <laughs> didn't they clarify that statement that it wasn't? necessarily meant to be oh well we had to hit this for it to be considered financially successful right. but rather it was this is our personal challenge to ourselves or our goal or what yeah we would love it if we hit 10 million okay thanks please pre- please buy the game yeah please pre-order and i will be pre-ordering that uh not super ultra collector's edition but the the nice one with the amano artwork because yeah i I, I, did. I i love i love my amano artwork and also amazon you is could, you probably couldn't even get the super rare no anymore. Yeah. they're, they're talking willing to pay no. Five they're, times as much on eBay. They're talking about maybe doing more of those because what? How many did they do? Like only a thousand or something. Thirty thousand. Thirty thousand. Uh, they're so sold out in minutes. They will yeah. do another another run. But uh, if you have Amazon Prime, you actually get twenty percent off your pre-orders right now. So it ends up paying for itself wow. if I get the collector's edition. I know well, it's a fantastic. The Amazon deal. Prime thing is amazing and. They just announced same-day delivery in Tucson, where I oh, live. Oh, you yesterday. bastard. So oh. I am screwed. Oh. You, the money so, gone. <laughs> we, well, we, don't, we still don't know what the release date is for sure, but everything we have suggests that Trails of Cold Steel 2 might be coming out early September. So, And we were worried about that. The only thing that could be worse is if Persona 5 comes out that month, too. I I will make a prediction on this show right now that I, I, I hope I'm wrong. I think Persona 5 is slowly slipping to beginning of next year. I think it's been a little too radio silent recently. And... I have no problem with that game being delayed. I'm not saying that is a problem with the game or that they are in trouble, but I think that could very well happen. 
we, if surprised. we haven't heard anything by E3, I'll yeah. I'll kind of jump on that train too. Me too. Yeah, I, I I was thinking that they may have actually been waiting for an announcement from Square Enix. Could be. Because fifty. Well, I forget if it was Atlas or if it was Square Enix. Did didn't Square Enix put out a survey that said, "Hey, which of these big games are you planning on buying this year?" And one of the the answers was Persona Five. And so it was like, I think it said something to the effect of like, if these they released at the same a- time period, which one would you buy? Yeah. It was like, don't, don't make I, me I, Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to make the Sophie's choice. of. <laughs> I I will be very I honest. That, I would uh, buy both. It's just the question is, which one would I play first? I would, I would play Persona 5 in a heartbeat first. And, and that's just because I know roundabout that I enjoy that style of game. Um, yeah. well, I at, definitely will. They're so different. Yeah, yeah, I, I really have high hopes for Fifteen, and I don't want people to think that this podcast. I think I think we've been very like fair to Fifteen, which is, hey, we have some concerns, but at the end of the day, we want this to be good. Like, who would have thought? We want good games, but like, you know, I, I was I was a little put off by the demo, but then in the back of my head, I'm like, okay, but I saw the Dusk demo that looked better. Just for the love of God, do something about the camera. Ugh, that. <laughs> Does anybody else have a problem with that camera being so damn close? Like, yeah, it's a little close. This ain't Dead Space, all right. I'm not pinpoint shooting necromorphs. Like, I don't pull that sucker out. Let me see the world a little bit. Maybe it's the same problem I had. I love twelve, but twelve had a similar issue where you could only rotate it along the x and y axis. You could not pull it back yeah. at all, and or you know zoom it in conversely. And I was always. Like, uh, I, you know, I wish I could. And you can do that in 14, so I don't know, maybe, but... Vectors I feel like can... that should be a standard. You yeah. should be able to zoom in and pull back the camera in games, just like in general. There was a point years and years ago when maybe you could say, well, hardware limitations. But that's not, you know, the PS4 era. Yeah, I think I think it does depend on some stylistic decisions that are made in the game. Like, uh, obviously, we're not using pre-rendered backgrounds anymore, but that was a thing where like a fixed camera angle, you know, existed for a purpose, like to an end. So yeah, but we're talking about three D. Yeah, three D games where you can move the camera around fifty degrees. You just can't pull it back, and sometimes you kind of need to. For for me, it comes yeah. down to the environment. If the environment's very close, like a dead space, yeah. then I want the camera to be I, close, yeah. but if it's big, I, I want to be able to pull it out. Like, the issue specifically with 15 is it would improve combat because you still cannot see enemies that are running up behind you to get in your face and attack you because the camera is so close to Noctis. I can, they improved the camera so you can keep better track of the enemy you're actually attacking and they're not running all over the place, which is great because that was a huge issue with, uh, with Dusk Guy yeah. originally. But I still couldn't keep track of other enemies that were in the vicinity that are running around and they could come in and potentially get potch. And that will happen. That will happen in them in, you know, when you have, more enemies and more complicated combat situations and it's just like you know if i could pull the camera back so i could see them it'd make it a lot easier to dodge and well you know yeah to dodge dodging is still dodge i like it in concept but it doesn't always work the way i want it to yeah i could buy that as like a stylistic choice if it were a game that were sort of 
where we're trying to make combat difficult and like a souls kind of thing where you can't see, you can't pull the camera back to see that guy coming behind you because, Hey, you couldn't see a guy coming behind you in real life, but that's not the impression that I get from it, that that's what they're going for. Yeah. Well, we've come full circle. I think that that's a good stopping point uh, for the show. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, as always, be sure to go on to iTunes and give us uh, lots and lots of positive reviews. We always love the positive feedback. Uh, we check often, and it makes us feel very good. It does. I do feel good when people... Warm and fuzzy. You know, it, I, you know, even if they say Rob can be a little douchey sometimes, that's that's all right. That that. Can't get mad at him for lying. Yeah, well, that, that is true. Not exactly lying. So, uh, <laughs> I, I, pre- I appreciate everybody uh, giving us feedback. And, you know, I think we're doing a better job of making these shows a little bit more consistent. Uh, Friday night seems to be the night to record, apparently. So, uh, look at us. I know. Yeah. I know. And that, that way, everybody gets the rest of their night to relax. So, uh, for Derek, Caitlin, and Tooker, thanks again. And we will see you all later. <laughs>